Hello, and welcome to the Accountability Coach Podcast, where we discuss proven business success principles related to helping you make more money and work less so you can enjoy having your ideal business and ideal life. And Backrack here. Today, we have a very special guest with us who I think you will find to be a great resource in helping you to be an even better communicator so you can be even more successful and be on the path to having your ideal business and ideal life. Brendan Kumar Asami is the founder of MasterTalk. He coaches ambitious executives and entrepreneurs to become great communicators in their industry and in life. He has a popular YouTube channel called Master Talk with the goal of providing free, yes, I said free, free access to communication tools everyone can use. Well, welcome, Brendan. I appreciate you joining us. Of course, and the pleasure is absolutely mine. Thanks for having me. I'm excited, actually. I'm going to start off with maybe a super broad question, and hopefully you've got some super good insight for us today. Communication is critical if we want to get anywhere in business and in life. So what do world-class communicators do to be world-class? Mm, fascinating question to get us started. So I would say when, it, when we think of top communicators in one's industry, someone who's world-class, there's a few things that differentiate them from everyone else. So let's start with the first one. The first one is goal-setting. A lot of us have goals in our health, in our relationships, in our finances, but very few of us in have communication goals. What is something that I want to achieve for my goals? Let me give an example in the context of business. A lot of business owners generally have financial targets. I want to hit half a million. I want to hit 750. I want to hit multiple millions, but they don't think about the person who has already achieved that and what their communication skills look like. They might look at their morning routines. They might look at their business systems. They might look at their processes. But very few CEOs think about, hey, wait a second. What is that person doing in a podcast interview? What is that person doing when they're on a stage? And what world-class speakers do, and is they spend a long time researching and analyzing what that person is doing from a communication perspective. So that's number one is really goal setting. The second one is consistency. I always like to say, and whatever we practice consistently is what gets us consistent results. But in the context of communication, a lot of people don't practice consistently. And the main reason is either fear or lack of accountability. We might be nervous around it. A lot of us see communication like a chore. Whereas what exceptional speakers do is they find little ways to practice consistently. There's a lot of strategies I'm sure you'll ask me about today that we can talk about. But that's the second key difference is really consistency. And I would say the third focus is the word itself, which is focus. I find what world-class speakers do really well is they compare the right things. What do I mean by this? If you're an accountant listening to this, it doesn't really make much sense all the time to compare yourself to Tony Robbins or to Gary Vaynerchuk, but really focusing on the people within your industry. What are you willing to do that other accountants aren't willing to do? What are you willing to do in your space that other people aren't willing to do? And Sam Altman talks a lot about this, Alex Ramosi as well. He's, they say that if you want to be the top 1% in any category, you must be willing to do what 99% of human beings just don't do. And that's probably the third difference is really the idea of focus. I love that. Okay, so let's let's go back to consistent because I like consistency. 
what would I do, let's say starting tomorrow, to practice consistently to be a better communicator? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just didn't want to monologue for five minutes. That's why I was <laughs> I was waiting for your prompt. But yeah, absolutely. So I call this my easy threes. And they're so simple that nobody does them, but it creates a strong competitive advantage for yourself. And I'll also explain where the competitive advantage is. So let's start with the first one, the random word exercise. The random word exercise is fairly simple. You pick a random word like phone, like jaguar, like mouse, and laptop, and you create random presentations out of thin air. So the first thought we might have is, why are we doing this? And the answer is fairly simple. If we can make sense out of nonsense, we can make sense out of anything. And that's the power of the random word exercise. So the question I always think about, especially in the context of our own industry, is how many times are people willing to do the random word exercise? And depending on the industry, people might say, ah, maybe people do it five times in their life, ten times in their life. But if you do this five times a day, and it only takes a few minutes, you can do this with your friends, your family, your nieces, your nephew, you get a lot better at thinking on your feet and trying to create presentations with no expertise whatsoever. So when you go back to your businesses, your life, your passions, your dreams, it'll be a lot easier for you to talk on those topics. That's the first one. The second exercise of the easy threes is called question drills in. So every time in our life, we always get asked questions, whether it's on a podcast like this one where we ask each other questions. It could be from our customers or prospects, our family members. Like, Did you take out the trash? Did you do this? Did you do that? We always get asked questions, but oftentimes we're reactive to those questions rather than proactive to them. So what's the exercise? Every day for five minutes, so these are easy things to do, think about one question that you think the world will ask of you to answer and try and write out the answer to that question before the question gets asked. So let's put this into context. Let's say you're a business owner and people are asking you hundreds of questions about your products, your services, what you offer people. If you answer an objection or a question you might get a little bit every day with just five minutes of work during the year and you do this every day, you'll have answered 365 questions about either your expertise or your business and you'll be unbeatable. And finally, number three is video messages. It's so simple that nobody does it in. Sending a few video messages to people that you already appreciate. I'm a big believer of making a list of the people who already pour into you, people who already appreciate you and love you. Send them video messages. Nothing crazy. 20 seconds. Hey, I'm thinking about you. Love the work that you're doing. Appreciate this about you. Hope you're having a wonderful week. This is great because nobody does it. And also, what's amazing, especially if you're a business owner, you also get free business from it because you just send video messages to your existing clients and people just think of you because nobody does that. And a quote that I'll end on my easy threes is if you communicate 20% better than your competition and you will stand out 100% of the time. So if you just implement these three exercises and you do them every day, you'll stand out from your industry for sure. That's awesome. When you were talking about the video messages, I do have a client that was telling me that they send video short messages to their clients, like when it's a birthday or something, you know, happened that they just want to communicate. So he and his staff just get on a, like you said, 20 second video, just say, hey, just wanted to wish you a happy birthday. We we're thinking of you today or happy anniversary or something like that. 
And he said he can't believe how many people positively comment back and communicate back to him how much they appreciated that. So it is super powerful. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about what if somebody is introverted? Is there any advice on how to better communicate if there is any difference, to be honest, if you're introverted versus not? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great question. And I love your client story as well. I think that's phenomenal that, that individuals doing that. That's how they stand out. But yes, in the context of introverts, you know what's always surprised me, Anne, is this idea that introverts are a lot worse at communication than extroverts. But I've found from experience, because most of my clients are introverts, that they're often much better at communication. So the way that I answer this question is by helping introverts understand why they're better communicators in many facets so that it empowers them to triple down on their strengths. Let's go through those three things. The first one is the ability to listen. Introverts are exceptional listeners because they spend less time talking on average, which often implies that they spend more time listening to others. I struggle with listening a lot, as you can probably guess. I'm an extra extrovert. I'm always talking all the time. That's why I guest on shows. But I had struggled listening. I'm always talking, but I'm not paying enough attention to what the other person is saying. Whereas introverts don't have that problem because since they're listening more, they can adapt their message to the audience a lot faster than an extrovert can. That's difference number one. Difference number two is the idea of pausing and silencing. So silence is specifically. Pausing is the most, is one of the most foundational elements of communication. And introverts are exceptional at it because they're comfortable in silence. So all an introvert really needs to be coached on at the end of the day is just understanding the impact of what they already do in a day-to-day life in a presentation setting. Hey, if you just pause like this, Johnny or Julia, you'll have a lot more power and emphasis in the way that you convey a message. And when they start pausing, they learn the skill in like a few seconds, whereas an extrovert struggles a lot with it because they generally are uncomfortable with spaces in conversation. So whenever I'm at a party or a bar or an event and there's a space, I really want to fill it up and say, oh, well, Anne, uh, well, what's your favorite color? I always want to fill up that space, whereas introverts don't struggle with that at all. And finally, difference number three, one that we don't really think about too much, Anne, is the idea of accessibility. So what do I mean by this? Introverted speakers are often more accessible than extroverted speakers when they convey an idea. Let's take Gary Vaynerchuk as an example. Gary Vaynerchuk is an example of the opposite. You either really, really love him or you really don't, right? The CEO of VaynerMedia. In my case, I really love his work. I'm a big fan of what he does, and, and I think he's doing great things with his brand and his career. But... There's also a significant number of people who also don't really like him too much because he's too loud or he swears too much or he's too extroverted. Brene Brown doesn't have that problem. In fact, I would argue that if you say the words, I hate Brene Brown, the FBI will probably put you in jail, right? And I've said this multiple times on podcasts, even if I obviously don't hate her, I love her work. But the point that I want to drive with this is oftentimes introverted speakers are a lot more accessible and people will relate to them more. So what's the advice to introverts? The advice is apply the easy threes that we talked about earlier, but also understand that you have advantages that extroverts can only dream of, so triple down on them. 
<laughs> I love the threes. We're go- we have we have a theme going here, Brendan. <laughs> we've got easy threes. We've got introverts with threes. I'm digging it, and I'm taking notes as fast as I can with as fast as you're talking. <laughs> Let me know if you want me to slow down. <laughs> okay, so. Give me some perspective here. Let's talk about the difference between written communication and verbal communication. So how would our written communication really be different from our verbal communication to be as effective? We'll be back after a quick break. Ever wonder what it's like to mix business with pleasure? Then welcome to Happy Hour Holidays, where every episode is a celebration of stories, insights, and laughter. Join us, Sean and Manny Fabre, as we chat with fascinating guests from all walks of life, sharing their stories, uncovering secrets to success, and of course, enjoying a good laugh over a drink or two. So if you love engaging stories and a touch of humor, hit subscribe and dive into Happy Hour Holidays. Your adventure starts now. Love that. Powerful question, and here, here's what I would say. Let's start with the principle. Communication is like juggling 18 balls at the same time. One of those balls is eye contact. One of those balls is pausing effectively. Another one is storytelling. How do you communicate your personal brand, etc.? And the mistake that most of us make as communicators, and specifically those who are trying to learn the skill of communication, is they try and juggle all 18 at the same time. Wrong approach. What I'm a bigger advocate for is juggling one ball at a time. So this is where I I always like to give my public service announcement. If you have not yet booked 15 minutes to do the random word exercise, to do the question drill, and to do video messages, you're not getting the right lessons from this episode. Because the people who really want to be in the top 1% and they've already booked 15 minutes a day to say, oh, you know, I should probably try these exercises. Because at the end of the day, the best way to speak is to speak. So you really want to get out there and start communicating more effectively. So with that said, let's assume you've already booked that time. You're saying, okay, Brendan, and I got it. I'm going to practice this every day. Now let's talk about written communication. In the same way that we talked about that juggling analogy in As we're juggling more balls, we need to figure out which one is easier for us. Some of us will struggle a lot with written and be really good at verbal. Others will be better at verbal and not as great as written. So my perspective on this is start with the method that you're comfortable refining first and then amplify it over time. What does that mean? Let's assume both scenarios. We'll we'll go through both. Let's say you're really good at written and really bad at verbal. I would say double down on written, get really good, start a blog post, start writing more. And then when you get exceptional at writing, just re-communicate what you say in the written word verbally. So you can get a voice recorder out and just say it, like solo episodes. Seth Godin does this on his podcast, Akimbo, where he does solo episodes, where it's pretty much him talking through thoughts and ideas that he's already pre-written in his blogs. So that's the way I would multiply communication. If you're the opposite, which is more my camp, you're better at verbal than written, triple down on verbal, do the random word exercise more, get really strong at that, and then use voice recorders to communicate what you say on a podcast like this one where somebody else is already recording you. That's why I love guesting. It really plays to my strengths. 
and then use the clips or the ideas you're communicating naturally verbally and transcribe a lot of those in the written format using like an otter.ai software or just manual transcription and then rejig that into better copy or better ways of communicating a message written. The last part I'll say on this is also understand the outcome. What are you trying to achieve going back to communication goals through your written and, and verbal communication? And then through what those goals are, implement the techniques I just talked about specific to the goal that you're shooting for. Okay, that makes total sense. And I don't know that I would have thought of it that way, but basically you're playing to your strengths, it, whether it's written or verbal, and then just leverage that. I like that. Okay, so let's say that we want more business. So we've got to obviously make phone calls and communicate to prospective clients. But... I'm uncomfortable really putting myself out there to talk to prospective clients because maybe they're going to think I'm too salesy or that I'm be too, being too pushy. When people think this way, how do you help them feel better about how and what to communicate to help them get more business? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, Anne. I would say there, there's a couple of seasons here we can talk about. So the first thing I would say is I completely understand. I struggled a lot with bringing my message out there, trying to get business, asking for business. And the reason was quite simple. I was really young when I started my communication practice and my YouTube channel. I probably started coaching people when I was around 22 years old. So I was coaching people who had worked longer in the company than I was alive. So I had a lot of imposter syndrome. So here's where I would start, especially if you're a service-based business and you, you sell services to other people. It's, the, it's really the idea of imposter syndrome, right, that we're really thinking about here. And for me, what's really helped me overcome my imposter syndrome is understanding the following. The first part is really getting what expertise means. Because when we're comfortable in our expertise, we're comfortable in the ideas we're sharing, we're comfortable in the results that we're getting clients, yeah, sure, we might still be stressed, but that stress goes down a lot over time. So for me, the conversation always begins with this. Realize that you're an expert in something once you know what an expert means. Let me give an example. Let's say you live in New York, Anne, and I came to New York and I said, hey, Anne, I'm new to the city. What should I do in the city? You'll probably tell me. You'll probably say, okay, Brendan, go to this restaurant, check out this place, go to this attraction. The same way if you came to Montreal, which is where I'm based, and you said, hey, Brendan, what should I do in the city? I'll probably tell you. I'll probably say, oh, you should go to this restaurant, check out this attraction. We'll probably share information very openly and freely. But here's the punchline. Ed. Isn't it interesting that we share that information so openly? Because we're not experts as tour guides. We're not great at this at our own city. Sure, we might have lived there for a while, but we're not. Our dads aren't tour guides, though your dad might be, maybe. But the point I want to drive is that when it comes to expertise, we need to get that there's some piece of information in our life that we're open about sharing without giving it much thought, like directions in a city. Whereas when it comes to our expertise, the thing we spent years honing and crafting, we seem to be scared not just about asking the business, but also sharing that expertise openly on a podcast like this. Why is there a disconnect there? There's a disconnect because there's a poor understanding of what expertise means. A lot of us think expertise is having a master's degree, a PhD, when in actuality, expertise simply means being one step ahead of the next person 
in that subject. In the same way, you could probably teach me a ton about accountability because you're an accountability coach and I'm sure you do great work in that area. I could probably teach you as well one or two things about communication if you're already pretty great at it. And that's the way we need to learn from other people. So how does this get applied back into our business? I always say start with the person you're comfortable serving. Ali Gadet says this best. He says, when you serve one person, you help one person, the world will give you permission to help everyone else. And this is how I grew my business. I started with 15-year-old girls and boys, and I wasn't charging them any money. I was kind of just helping them. And then I started coaching people my own age. And then I worked my way up to CEOs of tech companies, mostly because they were my age and they didn't have any money, so they needed help with their coaching. So I started getting really good in that area. And then eventually I started coaching people who were a little bit older, a little bit older. And then I got to a point where I was helping people. I was really confident in the result that I was driving for them, and I was charging them what I thought was fair. And eventually that confidence built over time because of the competence associated to that. Dan Henry says this best. Competence leads to confidence. So bottom line, start serving people for, with the smallest area that you're comfortable with and grow the business organically first to the people who know, like, and trust you. And then build your confidence over time to do those cold calls and whatnot. Okay. Let's talk about now the difference between like a group live presentation versus a virtual situation. It doesn't really have to be a presentation. It could be some kind of meeting or something like that. So some in some environments, we're doing live and virtual combined, right? In mm -hmm. some environments, it's just live or some environments, it's just virtual. Is there something different about how we should prepare or communicate in a virtual world versus a live world. Absolutely, and so there's three key differences between online and in person. So let's go through those three things. The first one is eye contact. So when we present, let's say in an in-person setting, like in a, in a meeting, in a conference room with eight to 10 people in it, you're constantly moving your head to look into the eyes of the specific people you want to convey an idea to. But when you're online, that rule actually gets thrown out of the window because whether you're speaking to one or 10,000 people, you only have to look in one area, which makes things easier, which is simply the camera lens. So you can put a favorite food, a favorite family, obviously you, the family that you have, and you pick it next to the camera lens. So you're always staring at the lens. That's difference number one. Difference number two is energy. Let's face it, it's a lot easier to show up with energy and conviction and passion when you're meeting somebody in person versus when you're on a screen and you're alone in your basement and you're, and you're communicating with as much energy as you can. So I would say get better at in-person presentations, bring your energy up in those areas and transfer that energy into your your virtual settings. So for me, the only reason I got better, and I, I still have a lot to go, but the reason I got better online is I just improved my energy intake in person. And I said, I need to bring more of that energy in my virtual setting. So when I started podcasting, it was really weird. You're like, man, uh, this podcast host knows more about me than my mother does. And then over time, it's okay, no, I've known Anne for 10 years, and that's the way I'm going to communicate to her. So that's the, the second difference, Anne. And then the third piece, it really comes down to accessibility, more specifically from our audience. When you're in person, it's really easy to get feedback from people because you can just get lunch with people after your presentation is over. 
It's a lot harder to do in a virtual setting because the Zoom call just abruptly ends. So what I would encourage people to do, and is try and force those interactions. Get on calls with people in your crowd, get their thoughts, try and bring those relationships in person, have lunch with them so you can get the feedback that you need to make yourself successful online. I figured there would be three for that. <laughs> <laughs> We're on a roll with the threes. I like it. <laughs> we can talk about that too if you want. I'm happy to. <laughs> I'm curious. Is there really something behind it? There is. It's not it's not really scientific, though I'm sure there might have been smarter people than me who have who have figured this out. But generally speaking, Anne, a lot of people don't like to remember odd uh, sorry, even numbers. So two, four, six, eight. Just when you hear, here are the six things that you need to do. It sounds really exhausting or like four. But when you hear the one thing or the three things or the five things, it almost feels like you want to pay attention to the information more. So that's why I always speak in threes. I initially got this from McKinsey and Company. They're a global consultancy firm. So whenever they communicate to clients, they always talk in threes. And I felt it was it was really easy for people to to get the ideas from a presentation. Okay, it's one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, and then three. So that way people people get the information. I've tried twos and fours and sixes, and I just found that people just don't remember it because they go they think of three things, they go, what's the fourth one? Or they think of five things, they go, what's the sixth one again? It's like two. I remember one, but what about the other one? So that's that's the rationale behind threes. It tends to work well. <laughs> that's that's amazing. Now, over the years, I've heard people talking about you-focused language versus I-focused language. For example, you wouldn't typically want to say, like, I do this, I do this, we do that, we do that, because that's all about me when you want to really communicate something that's more about them, which would be more you-focused language, like you will enjoy this instead of I'm going to teach you that. Do you have any thoughts on this concept? Oh, that's a fascinating question, and I've never been asked this actually. I, I my initial gut reaction to that would be to mix up all three, because I see value in all three of those pronouns, whether it's or I don't know if pronouns the right word here, but the idea of I versus you versus we. Let let me give an example of what I mean here. So in the context of I, I definitely think I from time to time helps. Because then people know why you're there. Okay, I'm this person. I'm going to talk about that. So there's some value. But if you spend too much time talking about I, this is my, like, imagine I came on this podcast and I said, this is all my accomplishments. This is all my clients. You'd be like, geez, okay, dude, like, what's the, what's the value that you want to share? So I think there's a balance there. The next piece is the we. I definitely think we is a very powerful use of words, especially in the context of being a CEO of a company. So I hate it when I coach people on this all the time. When CEOs use I all the time, they don't use we enough, especially if they're managing a bigger team, like 10, 15, 20 people, because you only got that level of success because of your team. So I love CEOs who talk in we. We did this. We accomplished this. Everything is we. And if there's a if there's a problem or a mistake that happened, I'll blame me, which is I language. But if we're in teams and we do an accomplishment, we get something done. We 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 credit the we success. I got that from one of my my oldest mentors, who's helped me a lot with we language. But the third piece that you brought up as well, which I think is important, is the you. 
So I mostly teach this in the context of a strategy that I simplify called the mind reader. So the mind reader is where you think about the objections that your audience will bring up to your key idea or message and bring them up front. So I did this a bit earlier, so I'll just bring it back. Let's say we think about the random word exercise. Usually when I'm talking to a group of executives, I almost always follow that up with, I'm sure I know what you're thinking right now. Oh, Brendan, this is really childish. Why should I talk about avocados for 60 seconds? Why should I waste my valuable time being a vice president at a company talking about cats and dogs? And then I kill the objection right after. Well, if you do this, you get XYZ benefit. And they go, whoa. So, so it's almost as if the guy's reading my mind. So you language is really cool when you're talking about objections that the audience is thinking about but isn't bringing up publicly and you're squatching those objections. So what's the conclusion? The conclusion is it's not an or decision, it's an and decision. Try and leverage all three because I, we, and you all serve different purposes and can be leveraged in the right way if you mix it up in the right way. Sounds good. I like that. How can people really get to be better communicators is really the bottom line here. So I know you have offered or you have some kind of a 90-minute training. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and then I'm happy to close with the closing remark as well. So, so by the way, and this is great. Really love this conversation. So two ways to keep in touch. The first one is definitely the free training. We do a Zoom call every few weeks that I facilitate. It's not boring or anything. It's live. It's interactive. I'm coaching people on the call. It's fun. So if you want to register for that, all you have to do is go to rockstarcommunicator.com or you can check out the YouTube channel, which is just Master Talk in One Word, and you'll have access to a ton of videos. In terms of, of being a great communicator, though, there is a question I'd love to leave the audience within. And the question is simply this. How would your life change if you were an exceptional communicator? You know, the problem with communication is it's tied so much in negativity, anxiety, stress, whereas my perspective on this is, wait a second, we dream about our vacations that we want to go on with our families. We dream about the expensive houses that we want to buy or the cars that we want to get or the stuff we want to get. When was the last time we dreamed about our communication skills? So really reflect on that question because communication is not just about giving a presentation at work or getting a promotion, or getting the next sale in our business. It's every moment of our life. It's the way that we talk to our families. It's the way that we order food at a restaurant and make the waiter feel amazing, even if they're having a shitty day. It's the way that we meet strangers that we travel. So when we draw the relationship between communication and leading a more fulfilling life, that's what gets us excited to wake up and say, wow, I want to do the question drill. I want to do the random word exercise. I want to do the video messages. And I hope that your audience spends 10 to 15 minutes just reflecting on that question as well. So let's ask the question again, Brandon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anne. So the question is, how would your life change if you were an exceptional communicator? Or if you're someone who's a business owner, you're a thought leader, and you, have, you want to play a bigger game, the question shifts a little bit to how would the world change if you chose to share your voice with the, your, the world, if you chose to share your ideas with the world? When you reflect on that open-ended question, you'll get a lot more insights, and it'll, it'll get you excited to share what you want to to the world. And I hope that people are always looking for improvement. And one of my questions, and it's a reflection question, is what can I do different, better, or not do 
to incrementally improve tomorrow, next week? And I think this applies, I think this question really has a big impact because what would your life literally look like? How would it be different? How could it be changed? How could it be better if you were a better communicator? So I love that question and I hopefully people really think about that and can think about all the positivity that can happen in their life from this day forward as a result of thinking about that and doing something about the answer with that question. Absolutely. I love that. Any other thoughts for us today? Yeah, I just want to acknowledge you. You have incredible energy and it was fantastic having this conversation with you. Thanks for this. <laughs> well, you're awesome too. And, and <laughs> I love the easy threes and not just the easy three, not just the easy, easy three exercises, but all the other threes that you came up with today. So I'm sure people will get really great value and learn to be even more effective communicators. And remember to check out Brendan's free 90-minute training on effective communication that he does by going to rockstarcommunicator.com. Well, my hope for our time together with Brendan is that you got value and an idea or two or three that will help you be even more successful professionally and personally. Feel free to share my podcast with others as it can be found on most podcast platforms and in most English-speaking countries and, of course, at accountabilitycoach.com. And if you'd like to get a short daily fix from me, subscribe to the Accountability Minute, which can be found, again, on most podcast platforms and in most English-speaking countries. And always aim for what you want each and every day. Until next time, make it a great day, today and every day. I appreciate you listening.